This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, another history lesson from Brian Kilmeade. He's written yet another book about our American past. This one features a friendship of two very different people. One was a president, the other a former slave who became one of the most influential black Americans in the post-Civil War South. The book's title is Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. Of course, President Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington. We talked to Brian the day that book was released, but we discussed it after we got Brian's thoughts on Israel's war in Gaza that at the time was about a month old, responding to Hamas's terror attack and hostage-taking. Now, keep in mind, that was a few weeks ago before the temporary ceasefire that facilitated the release of 50 hostages starting Friday in a swap for Palestinian prisoners. Now, as always, we appreciate you listening and invite you to return, even subscribe if you haven't already. You know, we have something new every day. And now Brian Kilmeade on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Joining us again on the Fox News Rundown is Brian Kilmeade. You can watch him every morning on Fox and Friends, 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on Fox News Channel. You can hear his Brian Kilmeade radio show from 9 to 12. And you can also read another book. He's just written a new one just out this week, Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. First of all, congratulations on the book. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And we'll get to why you wrote it and the details and why you link these two men together. But first, let's get into some of the things that we're dealing with now. And the big issue, we're more than a month into the Israel war against Hamas inside Gaza after the terror attack. And here in the U.S., not only is there concern about a rise in terror threats here, there's just a lot of unrest and a lot of anger, a lot of pro-Palestinian rallies going on. And that even led to a member of Congress being censured, Democrat Rashida Tlaib. It's really a very difficult time. And a death, perhaps, for a 69-year-old out in California. Biggest surprise? Maybe ever. To, if you told me that Israel would be attacked in a way I didn't think was imaginable, I always thought it was medieval times. And it's even worse than something that ISIS would do. To innocent people and children who are now 240 plus are hostage. If you said, well, at home, Brian, don't be surprised that the Palestinian movement overwhelms the pro-Israel movement and compassion for the people that just suffered so much. I'd say there's no way. But yet not only is there a way, it happened 100,000 over the weekend out, out in front of the defense contractors headquarters. And now they're going to continue to hit every major city on a regular basis. What, both, what strikes me is you need a degree of understanding. It is not right or wrong, George Floyd. We know who's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, um, it's not uh, equality. It's not something that we can figure out. Women voting, obviously, where we, we stand on that. We all, 1990, we get it. But if you want to, if you want to protest the Palestinians or support Israel, you've got to do some research. Well, who was there? Why were they there? How many peace agreements were attempted? What? Why is, who runs the Gaza Strip? Mm-hmm. How did Hamas, well, how come there has been an election since Hamas won the last one? What's the popularity there? Did they actually do that thing on October 7th? And what was it in response to? Why were the Israelis under the, Israelis under the impression that Hamas was looking to run, a, run a, the Gaza Strip? How were they so in the dark? 
So having said all that, you need to go to school. And if you come out of that and go, it's really Palestinians are the victims here, I'd like to hear your argument. I feel bad for all those people that have been forced south, but the reason why they did it is because the people that run the Gaza Strip chopped up and killed 1,400 people and took 244 uh, hostage. They have no choice. They are texting. They're dropping flyers. Dave, did you see any texts of flyers to get out of the kibbutzes on October 7th? No. No, there's none of that. But the people who are doing a lot of the protesting, they say it's genocide because there's 10,000 Palestinians killed in we, the Israeli strikes. Right, according to Hamas. And they say that thousands of them are women and children. And we certainly have seen a lot of civilians fleeing in, their, in UN shelters and all. So they believe that they are the real victims in all this at this point. So how do you stop that issue or make it, I mean, they, how do you change their plight? What you do is you let them know that uh, this is the way to be safe. But in the meantime, the people that run your, the Gaza Strip, I wouldn't say country, your, your portion of land have to be brought to justice. Uh, uh, death or detainment have to be brought to justice. In the meantime, hang out in the corner. The best we can, we're going to avoid it. Get yourself out of harm's way. We brought 520 trucks of humanitarian aid the next day. They are beginning to let everybody off. 300-plus Americans have left since. But a war is ugly. And people have brought up this analogy, and I don't really have a problem with it. Pearl Harbor was an unprovoked attack on America. I believe, in the end, we killed more Japanese and died at Pearl Harbor and then dropped two atomic bombs on them because we were determined not to let that happen again because the next attack was going to be worse. It was going to be San Francisco. It was going to be Los Angeles, and they might disappear. So when we bombed Berlin because the Nazis were there, I sadly, a lot of innocent people were killed, but the Nazis were burning people alive and trying to dominate all of our allies and wipe them out. And sadly, some women and children died back then. But would you have rather had a different outcome? Yeah, and the people, again, who are pro-Palestinian say that Israel caused this by running Gaza and making it difficult for people to live there. 18,000 were given passes to work in Israel. 18,000 on a daily basis. Uh, The only time that fence went up is when it became clear when Ariel Sharon said, I'm just going to give Gaza up, and then he had a stroke soon after, never recovered. When he gave the Gaza Strip up, when rockets started flying weeks after he realized, i got to put a divide up here. And if we don't, my people are going to get invaded. So they put the, his successor, put, the, put that mini wall there, which they thought was impenetrable with cameras. Obviously, it wasn't. And that's where it went up. If, uh, if there was no problem, we really don't have a problem with Mexico, got a problem with immigration, there would be no barrier. We don't have a problem with Canada. I don't see any wall or any, any, any electronic fences up there because we have no problem. Anybody who lived in Israel who ran Israel would say that you are not keeping us safe by allowing um, our enemy to be at our doorstep without some type of barrier and control. On college campuses, the protests have been very strong. And of course, with Congresswoman Tlaib being censured for her comments, how can we find a way where both sides can have dialogue? Because it seems to be very hard. Uh, Here, I don't I don't know, but I'm fascinated because the problem is their fighting's coming from inside the tent. 
you know, they're they're chanting genocide, Joe. They're not saying genocide, right? Uh, Hamas. You know, they they have a problem with their own president that they elected. It's our president, but that's their party, and their problem is with their party. Twenty two congressmen were Democrats that voted for her censure. Mm-hmm. So before we, as the general public, can try to find a way, maybe they, as a party, should try to get a message. That comes out. Now, nobody wants an innocent Palestinian to die. But when you kill 1,400 innocents because it was October 7th, there's going to be repercussions. There, there's no world in which there isn't. Hamas might have expected this, right? They would have known that Israel is going to have to have a long conflict in Gaza. And they may have counted on people tiring of the daily war there. Like we're famous in the West for doing, like Ukraine, like Afghanistan, like Iraq. Long term, they feel um, they're living for another life, I guess, in some cases. They never probably thought this they would come in so hard, possibly. I mean, here we are a month in. They bomb on average 500 times a day. Mm-hmm. And now they're in the major city. They split it in half. Now they're going block by block. Maybe Hamas says, well, withstand this and... And will survive and build back. And I think ultimately Iran does not want to see Israel normalized with all Arab neighbors. And that's where this whole thing was heading. They didn't want to see it. So in a way, you're giving them what they want, but you have no choice. What happens after is key. And I thought when Benjamin Netanyahu came out and said, we're going to control Gaza for a while. Which the U.S. doesn't want, supposedly. Right. But do you have a choice? Do you have anybody else? So we know what it was like. We turned over Mosul and these other, these other cities to, to the local governors. They started rocketing our embassy. We had to go back in there block by block. If they pull out and say, now, you guys, now go get Mahmoud Abbas in there to run things, any remnants of Hamas reconfigured, retrained in Iran, sent right back, militarized again, seven years later, new generation of Israelis, new eight-year-olds taken captive or killed. So they want to end this thing for good until you can prove to them the security can be held by anybody else. I think they hold it. I mean, do you want the U.N. in there? I don't remember the last U.N. No, peacekeeping I mean, force. And, and, and we still are dealing with Iran, too. I mean, our own bases have been attacked in the U.S., I mean, in, in Iraq and in Syria. We're and, up at 40 times, and yeah. 47 of our guys are hurt with TBI and various injuries. We have not answered back for the most part. I want to get your thoughts now as we switch all together. Something different, of course. Your new book, Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equity. You just did a book with President Lincoln and Frederick Douglass together. Why put these two together? What's interesting is I read Up From Slavery before I did Douglass and Lincoln. And That's Booker T's book. Booker, uh, before he, Up From Slavery is Booker T's book, which is his autobiography. Right. And he started rising through the ranks, and then people go, wait a second, th- this guy, one of the most respected men in America, as an educator without peer, who's changing the way uh, race relations are envisioned and internalized, who is known as well, as well in, in the UK and in Europe. And... He started as a slave. Is that the story? Yeah, that's the story. Nine years old, never had shoes, never had pants. He'd sleep on a floor, eat the same thing every single day, called to the main house on the plantation and told by a Union soldier, you're free. His mom cries, no dad. They go back to Haskell. What do we do now? He talks about getting in a wagon with the, with the mom's future husband, his stepfather, uh, Washington Ferguson, and then going to West Virginia working in the salt mines. And that guy becomes the most one of the most important 
men in America who didn't do this to be famous, didn't become an activist. He started an institution that on the average of 1,500 per class would graduate people not only with academic degrees, but with skills and knowing a trade to contribute to society, making people who were told for the longest time that blacks and whites were unequal, that whites were superior, that blacks can only do certain things. Excuse me, mom, but what are they doing? Why is that guy so smart? Why is that woman so competent? Why is that teacher, that African-American teacher so great? What do you mean this difference between the races? How do you change people? You don't yell at them. You don't find them. You don't cancel them. You show them. And that's what came clear to me. And he needed partners. And one of the partners in the man of power was Teddy Roosevelt, who found up from slavery and wrote a letter, said, I got to meet you. Mm. And then they decided he was vice president. They just said, when I'm president, if I get there, I'm going to work with you. He goes, I'd love that. He became president when McKinley gets shot. And immediately he calls for Booker. And they worked together for seven and a half years and had a lifelong friendship. So the day he is sworn in as president when McKinley dies, he writes a letter to Booker T and invites him. But their meeting... He also apologized <laughs> for having to put off their meeting. But their meeting is a, is a dinner at the White House. And I don't think either of them expected... The reaction they got. It was horrendous. And America was not ready for a black man, even Booker T. Washington, to eat with a white family. He happened to be the first family of the country. With in black the, servants, right, in the, in the, in the great executive point. mansion? Great point. And it was so impactful, it rippled throughout the South. I mean, I can't even read the headlines out loud. I included, mm. included them in the book. In the North, it was not that big of a deal. And there were times Frederick Douglass, I, for example, when, when uh, I found this out when Governor Roosevelt was governor of New York, he had blacks all the time. He, he's got, why don't you stay and sleep over? Because I got this huge mansion. Why don't you stay? Oh, absolutely. He didn't think anything of it. He's like, I got to work with this guy. When we're done with dinner, let's go, go in the study and let's go work some more. So they both were so blown away by their, the negative reaction, they realized they might have hurt their cause. And that was the worst thing. But talk, uh, Booker T. Washington was about Tuskegee. It wasn't about him. And it wasn't about him being with power, going to the right parties. And he thought they might have hurt each other. And they said, guys, we, they said to each other, we've got to bring this thing down a little. If you come over, it's 1130, 4.30. It can't be for dinner. Right, right. And right. then I, I include in the special, Dave. They still met, though, right? Oh, they afterwards. met, they had yeah. dinner. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had, actually, they were both honored at Harvard a short time later, and they avoided each other. Mark Twain was there, wrote about it, and he wondered if the hoopla because of the dinner, mm -hmm. uh, is that why you stayed away? And he goes, I just thought it would be okay. It was referenced to. I just thought it would be better if, you know, we talked some other time, and they did, they, they were set, seated separately. But John McCain mentioned the dinner and the outrage that surrounded it when he lost in 2008. Really? And I included it in the special. And he said, you know, a set decades ago, it was a big deal when a black man came to eat with a white president. Now, well, that black man will be hosting the next dinner. Look how far America's come. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to do it. Before you take a knee at a football game, which is your right, or take a knee at a World Cup game, which is your right, I think you should have a perspective on how hard people worked and how much they sacrificed in order to move America forward. Fundamentally, they agreed on one thing. They loved the country. They wanted to make it better. They knew it was the best around. And they both had opportunities to go anywhere. Teddy Roosevelt, not just a rich guy, he had asthma, he had huge intestinal issues, could never leave the house as a kid. He went through a hellacious upbringing where all he could do was feed his mind, not build his body. He overcame that the rest of his life. When you talk about Booker T. Washington, one of the things that I, I find interesting is that some people, as the movement for freedom grew, 
some people were critical of him because, for instance, his speech that was so well thought of in 1895 in Atlanta, Georgia, didn't really call for a conflict or a clash. He talked about blacks and whites living together, but in the framework of the culture of the time. It wasn't calling for a change, calling for them to live together, even though they were considered by the whites unequal. So why and how, how does he navigate that? Because I know the NAACP founder didn't really care for the way W.E.B. Du Bois. And, yeah. and that, that's a rivalry that these are the sub these are the subplots within it. W.E.B. Du Bois never was a slave. He was a born free black man. Uh, and he was an intellect. He had the highest education possible. He wrote about and do studies on the history of the Negro. He would write the Negro that was back then that was vernacular mm -hmm. uh, in America. And he'd go into detailed studies and he goes, this is how I make it better. Booker D. Washington says, I don't have time to write study. I'm in it. Mm -hmm. I'm in the South. You stayed in the right. North. Right. You traveled the world and you, you went to Berlin. He goes, I was in Birmingham and I'm working at Tuskegee. And he wanted, he applied, uh, W.B. Du Bois Younger applied to, to teach at Tuskegee. He took a different job because Tuskegee's acceptance came later. And in the beginning, he commented how great the speech was. A little bit later, he said, wait, you're about getting along and accommodating. Uh, we're not about that. This is wrong. It's wrong to have a poll tax. It's wrong for the Ku Klux Klan to be in there. It's wrong to lynch people because a black man was perceived to be dating a white woman and vice, uh, vice versa. You should stand up and do that. He goes, well, he would, but you have to pick his spots. If he was too much of, of, um, if he was too much of an activist, Tuskegee would have paid the price. And he had to do the impossible in the South, address a black and white audience who wanted to hear something different. And he both gave them what they wanted. And a lot of people had tears in their eyes saying, listen, I know how you feel about us. I know how we feel about you. We're not a threat to you. We just like an opportunity to live our dreams too. And he told white people, you know, you do what you do. We'll do what we do. But keep an eye on us because no one's going to stop us. We are, we're on a roll and uh, the sky's the limit. And at the end of it, I think it was Grover Cleveland was in the audience and he couldn't believe how great this speech was and how, the, how on, the, on the money it was and how motivational it was. And it was printed everywhere because I think fundamentally white people knew the injustice of segregation and they know what to do about it. Just like in slavery, you talk, you read Jefferson, you read Washington, they go, slavery is awful, but how do I get out of it? Mm. I was born into it. Took a long how time. How do I get out of it? Took a long time. And they used time. to say to John Adams, yeah, you're condemning us, but you're in the North. You don't need labor, <laughs> right. right? You know, so you're, you're living a businessman's life. Uh, we are, we're there. If, if I let go of all my slaves, I lose everything. And as is just do it anyway. I know people watching at home, but just put yourself in the mind of 1750, not in 19, you know, 2023. So he they said, listen, this is what we're in. I'm, just watch me. And all he did was get more and more fans and supporters. You tell people they're evil and they're bad and we're coming for you. Even if you are wrong, you're going to be defensive. You're not going to help them. At the end of this, Andrew Carnegie, uh, uh, Julian Rosenwald, um, J.P. Morgan, how can I help? What can I do? They made him take a vacation. He goes, listen, I, are you working too hard? I want to pay your salary. You got to retire. He goes, no, if you give me money, it's going to the school. And they go, will you at least take a vacation? They were worried about him. Wait, a rich black man, the richest man in the world, worried about this guy who runs a school, in a historical black college in the South. And it shows you the goodness of people, even though they were in a time in which uh, segregation and racism was, was rampant. 
but they saw the goodness in a person. And I can imagine how many people were inspired seeing this black man from the South work with this guy from the North called Teddy Roosevelt. How many people looked at them and said, well, little black kids and little white kids go, I don't see any difference in race. If they could work together, I can. They'd never really wrote an autobiography. We not, not, might not know how many people they inspired. But the relationship, I think, is worth chronicling. Teddy Roosevelt, of course, now in our current time, he had a statue of his removed in New York City. I'm doing this special, and in, um, I was doing a special in the history of the police force, and I asked Ray Kelly to join me, and he's, he's, he's right by the Museum of Natural History. And I go, it'll be great. It'll be right by Ted Roosevelt, our first police commissioner. And he goes, Brian, you're not going to like it. They boxed it up. I go, you kidding me? Yeah. So I had to do, we did it anyway. We talked about that. But it's, now it's in North Dakota. I think it's going to go in North Dakota with the Teddy Roosevelt Museum because he Well, he did love that part battle. of the country. Yeah, but it, it's going to be hard to get to. As opposed to the museum his family founded, where most of the stuff that he shots on the inside and the uh, and the relics that he recovered. Does he get enough credit? Do you think for I mean, you you link these two for race relations? Do you think he gets enough credit? Well, there, there are some things, in, and I talked to family members who are historians, uh, Teddy Senior and Tweed, and Teddy. I met Teddy Junior too, who's we're still working in politics, and he's not that young, but Tweed knew Edith, Teddy's wife, who outlived him by years. And he said, listen, Brian, when you research this, it's definitely this there, and I think you should do this book. But you'll research, and you'll see some things that Teddy Roosevelt said, and they'll definitely show you had blind spots. He was a man of his times. But I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did, because people only talk about the dinner. They don't talk about him writing a letter and saying, Booker, I need a judge. I need a nomination for a postmaster. Don't tell me. Don't worry about the color of their skin. I just need a good, I need the best person. Man, that's pretty impressive in 1904. In 1903, you know, the book is Teddy and Booker T. How two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. You're going on the road. Yeah, if you go to BrianKillMe.com, I'll go on the road. Uh, Dave, this comes out tomorrow, and tomorrow night is the first time I'm talking about the book in public. I'm talking about all my books at the Vogel in Red Banks, New Jersey. Just a handful of tickets left. It's an unscripted night of how America got great through George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, Alamo Avengers, the President Freedom Fighter, and now this. I want people to be armed with how great America is. Not perfect, but what makes us great is that we try to be. Brian Kilmeade, host, of course, of Fox and Friends weekday mornings, the Brian Kilmeade Show and the new book. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Brian. Good to see you. That was great. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.